Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. If you're using our Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 453. Page 453. Psalm 13. You'll see that the title of the psalm is How Long, O Lord? And there's a little subtitle, To the Choir Master, A Psalm of David. So the psalm we're about to read was written by King David. How long, O Lord? Psalm 13, page 453. Just six verses long, and we're going to read it together just now. This is God's word to us. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us. Well, we're looking at another psalm again this evening. Two weeks ago it was Psalm 148. Last week it was Psalm 23. This week it's Psalm 13. You'll find it really helpful to turn to that psalm at this point. It's page 453 of our Pew Bibles, and as you're turning to it, let's pray for a moment together. Father, we thank you again for your word, and we pray that you would help us to think through this psalm together, this psalm of of lament, this psalm that so many of us can perhaps stand in and identify with tonight. We pray that you'd come by your spirit to Help us understand it and apply it to our situations and to our lives. But most of all, point us to Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. As we start to look at this, Sam, let me get you to think about three interconnected questions. Here's the first question. Why do we sing in church? Why do we sing in church? I don't know about you, but I'm in lots of places during any given week, but church is the only place where I sing. Maybe sing in the car, but that doesn't really count. Church is the only place where I sing with other people. You're probably the same. Why do we sing in church? You ever thought about it? Uh, Is it that someone a long time ago just thought it would be a nice idea and all churches everywhere have been singing without really thinking about it? Do, do, Do we sing because it'll make us feel good? It'll be an uplifting experience for us. Neither of those answers really cut it or get to the heart of the question. We sing, obviously, because it's commanded in Scripture. Colossians 3.16 puts it as plainly as anywhere else in the Bible. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul is writing there about Christian worship, and part of what it means to worship is to sing, he says. So why do we sing in church? The Bible tells us to. What do we sing in church? Colossians 3, 16 answers the question too. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. 
But broadly speaking, our answer might be biblical truth put to music. Whether it's modern or ancient is neither here nor there. If it's biblical and singable, we should sing it. Why do we sing in church? The Bible tells us to. What do we sing in church? Biblical truth put to music. What types of hymns do we sing? What types of hymns do we sing? Now, this is an important question that we don't ask. The vast majority of our hymns in church are songs of victory, triumph, and praise. Um, We need to sing those kind of hymns because through Jesus, we have victory over death and we can triumph over sin and the evil one. But if we only sing songs of victory, triumph, and praise, we, we, we limit ourselves in a way that the Bible doesn't. Answer this question for me in your mind. Do you always feel like singing songs of victory, triumph, and praise in church? Always. We're Christians. We feel good all the time, don't we? We're supposed to, aren't we? Of course not. Some of us have come here tonight with significant issues rumbling in the background of our lives. Some of us have come here tonight feeling like we would rather be anywhere else in the world. Some of us have come here tonight feeling that the most helpful thing for us to do would be to take ourselves away at an isolated spot and have a good, hard scream to ourselves. Now, where are we going with all of this? Here's where it's going. The, 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 the Psalms are God's songbook. God in his perfect divine wisdom has given us the Bible and in the Bible he's, he's given us a book of songs. And the thing about the songbook is that there are lots of different types of songs in it. God's songbook uses poems to recount the, the, the complete experience of a Christian believer. And the, sta- the Psalms stand in stark contrast to, to so much of modern worship and, and show us that our singing shouldn't just be limited to songs of victory, triumph and praise. Some songs might be triumphal, but, so, but others might be somber. Some of them may be full of joy, but others full of sorrow. Some of them may prompt us to raise our hands and dance in the aisles, although let's be honest, we're Presbyterian, so it's probably not going to happen. But, but others may prompt us to be completely still and weep in silence. A, a lot of the Psalms aren't particularly fun to sing, but they're good and necessary and healthy for us to sing. They show us that we're to sing about everything, including the things that are no fun at all. Singing allows us to give thanks, but also to confess, to express, but also to ponder, to celebrate, but also to lament. And that's what Psalm 13 is, a song of lament, a song, a poem written by someone who was going through a period of suffering. A psalm written by David who felt that God had abandoned him. Have you ever felt like that? Over the years, I've heard a reasonable amount of people say, where where is God while my life is falling apart? Why, Why would God allow this to happen to me? Some people feel that way but would never dare say it out loud. They've been taught that Christians don't experience things like that or that if Christians do experience things like that, they definitely shouldn't question God. And so what happens is that we keep up appearances, even if we feel completely abandoned, even if we feel as though God has, has turned away from us. You, you should know that if that's you tonight, you're not alone. 
It should be encouraging for you to know, even comforting for you to know, that David experienced the same things we do. David was one of the giants of the Old Testament. When we sing kids' songs about Old Testament heroes, David is always mentioned. He was a king. He was a general. He was an author of scripture. He's an ancestor of Christ. Yet in Psalm 13, David describes a time when he felt like God had turned away from him. If David could be honest with us, we should be able to be honest with each other. Psalm 13 is, is, is a straightforward psalm in terms of its structure. There are six verses. It begins with, in verses 1 and 2 with honest questions from David. It ends with joyful confidence in verses 5 and 6. The hinge at the center of the psalm is David's prayer in verses 3 and 4. So three sections, therefore three points for us to give some structure as we try and understand this psalm of lament. In verses 1 and 2, we have crisis questions. That's the first thing we're going to think about and see. Crisis questions. D David asks the questions we would never dare ask. Just look at, verses what he, look at what he says in verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The most obvious thing from the opening of this psalm is the question that's repeated four times. Did you see it? Did you notice it? Did you hear it? How long? It feels like this trouble and sorrow is never going to end. Time flies when you're having fun, but the hours crawl by when life is hard. A week in hospital is longer than a month of good health. The thing is, we can put up with something, something if, we, if we know how long it lasts. Tr trouble can be unbearable when there's no end in sight. Long-term trials just, just grind us down over time. To make things worse, in David's case, he, he doesn't seem to know why he's going through what he's going through. We don't know the specifics of what it is that's troubling him. And that's actually quite helpful for us because we can stand in this psalm alongside him. But there's no confession of sin, of sin in Psalm 13. There's no repentance. There's no guilt. For, for some reason that's hidden to him, D David feels like God has, has turned away from him. Now, what are some of the reasons that we might feel like God has turned away from us? Tiredness is one. Do you remember the story of Elijah defeating the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? He confronted them, defeated them, and afterwards he crawled into a cave and bemoaned his very existence. You should go home and read it, 1 Kings 18 and into 19. And we get tired as well. A young mum or dad who hasn't had a full night's sleep in weeks feels spiritually dry because they're exhausted. You own a business or a farm and you're worn out because you're not sleeping with worry. The economy is so unstable. What's going to happen in the future? Or you might have long-term health issues. You're watching online because you can't come out to church anymore. Or you're not happy in your job. The career you thought would meet your dreams hasn't quite done it. Or your marriage isn't what it was in early days. Or family life isn't as happy as it was in the early days. When the kids were young, when they actually listened to you. How long, O oh Lord, how long? You ever felt like that? You ever asked that question? There are four downward steps that David takes in this psalm, and they lead him to feeling that God has withdrawn his blessing. Let me try and explain these as descriptively as possible. So the first step is 
forgetfulness. He accuses God of forgetfulness. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Feels like God no longer cares enough to pay any attention and to take special care of him as a beloved child. Can that happen? Can God forget us? Here's what God says through Isaiah the prophet in answer to that. This is Isaiah 49, 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget you, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Our hearts may tell us that we've been forgotten, Satan wants to stoke those feelings. He, he wants us to believe that we're like an orphan on a street corner. But it just can't be true. The, the, the second step is hide and seek. It feels like God has hidden his face. How long will you hide your face from me? And this is worse than forgetfulness. This is rejection. This is playing hide and seek but leaving the game just as it starts. Here's the logic of it. If God has only forgotten, then when he remembers me, he will do something But if he has hidden his face, then he knows I'm there and is consciously turning from me. That's what David's thinking. This naturally leads on to the third step, Eeyore syndrome. Eeyore syndrome. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Eeyore syndrome equals morbid introspection. Looking back at our lives, maybe dredging up past sins, We know we're saved by grace, but that sin, well, it was really bad. And then there's the bottom step, crushing defeat. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David fought against the Philistines his whole life. He was on the run from King Saul for eight years. The world he lived in and knew was a brutal place. Now, we probably don't have people chasing us with swords, but the Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion and is seeking to devour someone, 1 Peter 5, 8. He's the enemy of our souls. And death is the great enemy of us all. When darkness descends in our hearts, it can feel like death will just swallow us up. How long, O Lord? How long? You ever felt like that? You ever asked that question? What if you're there tonight? What if you find yourself there at some point in the future? What, what should you do or, or what should you remember to do? Well, mercifully, D- David doesn't leave us with these dark questions. He shows us the way out of darkness into the light. L- looking at his list of feelings is helpful because it, it shows us that th- these feelings aren't unique to us. D- D- David's prayer in verses three to four is the turning point in this psalm, as we've said, From crisis questions, we we move to crucial prayer. Just look at what David writes in verses three and four. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David prays to the very God who seems so far away from him, who seems to have abandoned him. Although his heart tells him that God has turned away, David doesn't believe his own feelings. And that's really important to see. Generally speaking, we should never trust our feelings or make any significant decisions on the basis of our feelings because they come and go. David knows this and and pleads by faith with God, 
to hear and answer him. His faith in verses three and four is is tenacious. The word consider in verse three can also be translated as look. Uh, You've maybe had the experience of a child shouting, look, look, look. Uh, You're doing something else. You're cooking the dinner. You're checking your phone. uh, And all of a sudden you feel this tugging at your leg. And this small person is in your face shouting, look, look, look. That's kind of the picture we should have as we read David's prayer. David is saying to God, look, answer me. Give me light. Three requests. He, He prays with the passion and confidence of a man who knows God. And to raise the stakes, David reminds God that if he doesn't turn to him, his enemies will win. God had promised to bless David. And David subtly reminds God that if he falls, if he fell, God would default on his promises. In other words, God's character is on the line here. God had committed himself to David, and he prays on the basis of those promises. What's the lesson? It's that the first step of faith, when we feel that we've been abandoned, is to turn to the very God who seems to have abandoned us. When it feels like God is far away, that's when we need to pray the most. Now, we need to be careful here. Medically speaking, if you're experiencing severe depression or something like it, you need to seek professional help. You need help from others. But you should also care for your own soul. You also need to pray. The thing to remember in praying is that you might not get the answer you want. There's actually no time frame in this psalm as to when David comes out of the period of suffering. So you might pray that you come out of a period of suffering And it doesn't happen for a long time. The trouble that you're going through might not just go away like that. But David's experience in this psalm shows us the effect of prayer. He settled his heart and the Lord gave him light. The the movement of, of David's experience in this psalm is from crisis questions, how long, to crucial prayer, look at me, Lord, to confident joy. That's our final point this evening. Confident joy. Just look at verses five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David's perspective changes because he prays. He has come to the realization or he has remembered that that God is still God with the lights on or with the lights off. He has remembered that God's care for his children is like the sun. It's constant. Even though the clouds obscure it, it doesn't mean that it isn't there. And where does that leave him? Well, look at the verbs in verses 5 and 6. I have trusted in your steadfast love. He makes a conscious decision to hope in God. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So I have trusted, past tense. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation present tense. In other words, he's saying, when I look at the broken pieces of my life and experience, and it looks as though everything is going against me, then I will remind myself that you give me a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Trusted, rejoice, sing. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. It's hard to sing when you're upset. I find that. It's hard to pray when you're upset. 
You can't get much out. It sounds so basic, so simple. So some of us linger on, dis- on our disappointments and failures, and the evil one is, is really happy with that. He's more than happy to take us down those corridors day after day. Do you remember that? Can't believe you did that. Look at the state of you. Well, what, what, what should you do? Well, what you should do what David says. I, I'm going to trust in your steadfast love. I'm going to rejoice in you. You are the God of my salvation. You've saved me from sin's penalty. You're saving me from sin's power. And one day you'll save me from sin's very presence. Therefore, I can sing and therefore I will sing. It's a beautiful ending to the psalm. And there's actually something very clever in the structure of it. Just look at it all in your Bible. Just look at the whole unit of the psalm. Verses 1 to 2, we have the crisis questions. And there are five lines. In verses 3 to 4, we have crucial prayer. And there are four lines. Verses 5 to 6, there should only be three lines, but... The ESV has broken the last line into two parts, and the original is just three lines. What's the point? Well, the form of the poem helps us to see the movement of the psalm. It starts with crisis questions coming in like crashing waves, moves to calmer waters through crucial prayer, and it ends with joyous ripples of confident praise. How long, O Lord? How long? You ever felt like that? You ever asked that question? It should help you to know that one of the giants of the Old Testament, one of the giants of the faith, asked that question too. It should help you to think through and meditate on this psalm and on David's experience. You, you need to realize that if, if you're a Christian and you're going through suffering, if you're a Christian and you feel like you've been abandoned by God, I, I can't tell you when the emotional darkness will lift. But I can tell you that you're not alone. You're following the footsteps of others, other Christians who have gone before you. David felt abandoned by God and his greater descendant experienced the same. That's vital for us to remember as we read the Psalms. Keep telling you this, hope you remember it. You've got to read the Psalms in light of Jesus. You've got to read the Psalms with Jesus in mind. Crisis questions Did Jesus ever ask crisis questions? And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Crucial prayer. What was it that Jesus prayed in his most significant, most difficult crisis? Luke tells us, two others who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Confident praise. Well, what did his crucial prayer lead to? It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light faded. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken, what the centurion, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. 
Ultimately, this psalm points us to Jesus, who endured this world of sin for 33 years before giving himself up on the cross to bear our sins and our sorrows. He experienced the things we've we've talked about in this psalm in a way that we can never fully comprehend or imagine. And if we are in him, if we have trusted in him, then we will never be separated from him. Let's wrap this up. It's another good psalm. Glad we've looked at it. Glad we're going to sing it. Here's why. The grammar of the end of, of Psalm 13 gives us the sense that David is, is putting a stake in the ground. He's hammering the ten pegs in. Uh, I mentioned playing 40-40 at the caravan last week. When I was growing up, when we went to the caravan, we would sometimes put up a, a three-man, four-man tent. Still got it. Used it once or twice in the garden. But what, what, what do you do when you're putting up a tent? You, you make sure that you hammer in the pegs so that it doesn't blow away. We, we really need this psalm. We, we really need to read it, to study it, and to sing it. Why? Because we sing songs of lament, even when we're not lamenting, in order to weep with those who are weeping. And because we sing songs of lament, even when we're not, not lamenting, so that when seasons of mourning come, and they will come, we know what songs to sing and what prayers to pray. So that the ten pegs are already in, and so that we're not blown away. Final thought, an illustration, and then we're done. The thing we need to remember about suffering in this life is that it will only be in this life. Ultimately, if we're trusting in Christ, this life is only the cover page of our stories. The word salvation in verse 5 in Psalm 13 is all-encompassing. It means complete well-being, God will meet every need we have. It means more than just having our sins forgiven. David is talking about complete salvation. Comfort for his heart, quiet for his mind, healing for his body, safety, uh, complete safety, perfect peace. God isn't just saving our souls. He's, He's saving us body, mind, heart, soul, spirit, senses, eyes, hands, feet, thoughts, emotions, and relationships. Everything we are. In Revelation 21.5, God says, Behold, I am making all things new. Real hope, hope that sees into the future, will give you joy even in the worst trouble. If we're trusting in Christ, that this, this, this life is, is only the cover page of our stories. Here's the illustration. A lady called Sharon Hastings has written a book called Wrestling With My Thoughts. She's a medical doctor who's experienced severe and enduring mental illness. In the book, she recounts her torturous journey, but let me read you how it finishes. It's very powerful. This is part of the book's epilogue. Hastings writes, when I was in my late teens, I was a lieutenant in the boys' brigade. As the pianist who accompanied the boys singing, I often played the official BB hymn, Will Your Anchor Hold, by Priscilla Owens. I had no idea how important its words would become. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life, when the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the strong tides lift, when the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? In the years since the Boys' Brigade, I have certainly known storms, cloudy days and strong tides. My boat has been buffeted by waves of psychosis, the high winds of mania, and the relentless lashing rain of depression. But despite my mental illness, 
as a follower of Jesus, I can join in the refrain. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. My mind is fractured. My body is weak. I am mentally and physically tired. And I often feel as, though I, as if I could easily slide back into despair. And yet I have this assurance. Whatever my state of mind and my body, my soul is secure, anchored to a rock which cannot move. Because of this, I can answer the questions of the, la- of the hymn's last stanza with a confident yes. The disorder I have is a lifelong condition. I've experienced a measure of healing through the knowledge of God's right hand, holding on to me of his goodness and strength and through a medication regime that has helped me function out of hospital. But I do not expect that I will be completely free from mental illness in my lifetime. Yet I know that at the end of my journey, I will anchor in the bright harbor of the heavenly city And that's what really matters to me. Then life's storms will be firmly in the past and I will wrestle with my thoughts no more. And she finishes with a quote from C.S. Lewis and from 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8. Here's Lewis. God who foresaw your tribulation has specially armed you to go through it not without pain but without stain. And here's 1 Corinthians 1.8. God will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 13 encourages us to put the tent pegs in and to remember that if we're trusting in Christ, this life is only the cover page of our stories. It reminds you that if you're not trusting in Christ, then you have no ultimate security and hope. If that's you this evening, if you don't have the 10 pegs of faith in at all, then you should turn to him. Crisis questions, we all ask them. Crucial prayer, we need to pray more. Confident joy, that that's what we'll have one day, all because of Christ. How long, O Lord, how long, till your glory fills our eyes, And our faith is turned to sight till our thirsty souls are satisfied. How long, O Lord, how long? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your songbook. We thank you that it covers all the experiences we face in life. We thank you that we can read this psalm, study this psalm, that it points us to Jesus who suffered for us, died for us, and is one day going to redeem all parts of us. Until that day, help us to have the ten pegs firmly in place. Help us to know who you are. Help us to run to you in prayer. Give us confident joy even though we might be going through the most challenging and difficult things imaginable. Keep us firm to the end, 
so that we'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.